0: Welcome to Self-Security Chat Chat, episode 71 for August the 21st, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Mr. Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. How's Vancouver? It's uh, finally summer, but apparently it's almost over, so uh, I'm just trying to enjoy uh, the, the activity of being a bit hot and uncomfortable while I have the opportunity um it's good to have you back uh, we some interesting topics have come up and of course it is kind of the dog days of summer here in north america so it creates a quiet news cycle but there's some interesting things that have still been going on that i uh, i dug up for our topics this week a few of them you and i have uh, written about uh, the first one i want to kind of talk about was that you posted a story on naked security about you know atm skimming and and a great little video demonstrating how that works uh, i think it was, was that from the queensland police paul it was indeed yeah. And, you know, I also posted a story earlier in the week about some research that was published at the Usnic Security Symposium showing how some researchers were using thermal imaging cameras to recover people's PIN codes. And one of the interesting things uh, that I thought was that a lot of the feedback we got from folks from my story was that, oh, well, if you get my PIN, what good is that? You know, is there, you know, that they still have to like steal my ATM card, right?
1: Yes. I was amazed to see people not realizing that you can actually install Gear on the ATM, which will record both the card and the PIN. And if you think about it, actually recording the card using a little magstripe reader, a skimmer, is in many ways easier than recording the PIN because magstripe readers—that's a technology that's what 30, 40 years old—and the devices are really tiny now and they're readily available. People really need to wake up to the fact that cloning your card is the easy part; it's getting the PIN to go with it that's the slightly trickier angle, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different technology. In fact, you mentioned the the mag skimmers. Um, the, the, you know, I, I've read people showing how you can use an old cassette recorder head in order to recover the data from, uh, uh, you know, a car. Did you
1: just say cassette tape?
0: Yes, I think it falls between eight track and CD, somewhere
1: overlapping the
0: gramophone era. So uh, what we what I hope comes of all this is to raise awareness to folks uh, a little bit of a paranoia level about. Let's hey. be careful
1: with our terminology. Not paranoia. Paranoia is a uh, a mental illness characterized by delusions of persecution. This is not about persecution. This is about good old fashioned common sense. Because all of the stuff to do with filming your pin and skimming your card, those are not things that you'll only believe in if you if you feel a sense of persecution. They are stuff which we know. Cyber crooks around the world are making millions of dollars with every single day. So if you don't realize the risk yet, now's the time to wake up.
0: When on a similar note, you wrote a story about an incident I saw at DEFCON, which I found quite funny while I was there, but uh, didn't think to write about, uh, which is something that's now been coined to be called juice jacking by Brian Krebs. The idea that there's, uh, you know, these kind of kiosks, right, that you might have them in an airport or a hotel or busy place, public places where you might charge your iPhone and there's a, you know, a cable sticking out with a magical iPhone cable or perhaps just a USB cable for an Android phone or any other. I mean, almost everything we have these days is charging via USB port and you know, apparently hundreds of people at DEFCON. I'm still astounded a bit, thinking it's a hacker conference, and you know that everything, uh, including the Wi-Fi and the cellular network, are potentially at risk, and yet people plugged in their phones to this uh, random kiosk to get a free charge. Do you have some tips on, if you are low on juice, aside from remembering your charger, is there anything people should be aware of, or what are the risks of plugging into these types of devices?
1: There was a bit of feedback to that story about juice jacking of people going, oh, you're too, you know, this is not a real threat and no one's ever done this yet. Well, in some senses they have because it was demonstrated at DEFCON. So the fact that we haven't seen this in the wild could be for two reasons. One is that nobody's actually got around to doing it yet. Or secondly, no one's actually noticed because you just take it as a kind of act of faith that those cables hanging out of the charging stations just give plus 5 volts DC or whatever it is, and that they don't have the data wires connected. So the moral of the story is, don't forget your charger, or if you do, go to a high street shop and buy a new one. They don't actually cost that much. The last Nokia charger I bought in, in San Francisco cost me $10 or something, which is a hell of a lot cheaper than the value of all the data on my phone.
0: Yeah, well, one of the good things, though, at least with modern smartphones, is most of them seem to default to requiring you to enter your passcode before you can make a data connection, assuming you have a passcode, which is a whole separate point of research that I read some stuff about. And obviously, we saw with the uh, data that was on naked security on that as well. I believe Graham posted about some mobile phone security surveys and things, and how many people in Britain, at least, uh, weren't using PIN codes on their
1: phone. 70% of people had no password oriented or even numeric code protection on their phone. And of those 70%, 22% had lost a phone in the last 12 months. Go figure.
0: Yeah, huge. I mean, and, and so that that's another good reason to do it. I know I was playing with my iPod Touch, which is not exactly an iPhone, but when I was monkeying with it a few days ago, I plugged it into a system, and before it would let me connect to the devices, like, you must enter your code on the device before it'll unlock. And I, I know Android devices work similarly, as well as my BlackBerry, so... It's another good reason to take at least the step of putting some sort of protection on the phone. It does help out a little bit. Anonymous stuff continues. I mean, I'm not sure I want to get into a lot of detail other than clearly... The arrest of some uh, purported members of LULSEC and other things that were going on doesn't seem to have slowed them down at all. There was an attack against the, uh, some kind of tourist bureau in the Smoky Mountains in the United States this weekend. There was uh, you know, several actions against uh, BART, which is the Bay Area Rapid Transit Authority, or the, the transit authority that operates the subway system in San Francisco region of California. Um, You know, obviously the law enforcement actions against them doesn't seem to be slowing them down any, but it doesn't also look like there's any purpose to this. I, I'm I'm really surprised by the collateral damage that they're causing and how they can claim that this is for defending the people's free speech while they're meanwhile exposing thousands upon thousands of innocent people for seemingly no purpose.
1: I don't really know what to say to that other than I suspect you've asked a rhetorical question. Yeah. For a great many of those hangers-on who seem to support this and go, oh, gosh, you don't get free speech. Actually, I find that incredibly patronizing at best and utterly foolish at worst. You're not serving free speech by actually creating an environment which is itself hostile. What's that old saying, you know, your freedom to swing your fist ends two millimeters in front of my nose. And really, that applies on the internet. So grow up and get a life.
0: Yeah, and I I talked to quite a few journalists and other people that were asking like, oh, you know, is this really an anonymous attack and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, when you're identified by not being identified, anybody and everybody is anonymous. And if you don't like it, you're just going to have to take the lumps. If somebody decides to do something using your so-called name, sorry, um, I guess you should create a better membership requirement if uh, you really are a member. And if if you don't have membership, as they claim, then whatever it is any of us want to do and not identify ourselves, uh, you're going to be stuck with the consequences. Maybe they should do
1: what some of the social networking sites do when they decide that even though you've given your lawful name, that they've decided that your name's a bit funny by their standards, Anonymous should require you to fax through a photocopy of your driving license. Yeah. Maybe that would help.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Dweezil Zappa's has had problems on Google+, but a lot of other people have using uh, what would be considered commonly uh, identifiable names that they use on the internet.
1: Even like Lady Gaga, for example, which is obviously sounds like a suspicious name, but apparently is not.
0: So we talked a bit earlier about a story involving an Australian guy who ended up being arrested in the United States for a bomb hoax that had gone on. And without going into a lot of the details, I think you and I both were quite surprised at how the public doesn't realize how many of these cookie crumbs we're leaving behind. And aside from the fact that in this case, it looks like it's benefited law enforcement and that this particular criminal maybe wasn't as clever as a lot of the cyber criminals that we often look into, Is there an awareness problem here about how much data we're leaving behind? I mean, the things the police arguably looked at to track this guy down are somewhat insignificant compared to what an ad network might have on our internet activities. Is that not the case? Yes, I I found that a great irony
1: that the investigative thing, it reads like a great crime novel, actually. And then hats off to the New South Wales police. They did a great job here. They worked out Where a particular Gmail account was created. Then they worked out where it was accessed, and then they looked at some CCTV from around and about where it was accessed, and they noticed there was a particular make of car that was there at the right time. And they found that the guy who had the most likely candidate car had also flown to the airport recently where the Gmail account was created, and all sorts of admittedly circumstantial evidence that eventually led them to this guy and convinced a Kentucky court to arrest him. Of course, he's innocent until proved guilty, and all the evidence is very circumstantial. But as you say, a lot of people were going, wow, who would have thought they could possibly get that much information? Remember, the cops do have to jump through hoops to get that, which is why it took them not just hours, but several days. But ironically, these same people who regard it as almost unbelievable that the creation of a Gmail account could be traced back to an individual computer are actually willingly giving away vast amounts of their personal information where it can be viewed by almost anybody including cyber crooks and if there's one big difference between the cyber crooks and the cops well there is no due process for cyber crooks they have warrantless access to everything and the more often you give away your information willingly online the more often you give it away the more likely it is will fall it will fall into the wrong hands so it does seem there's a big lesson to be learned here if you're surprised that this guy got tracked down by some breadcrumbs he left on the internet then you shouldn't be surprised when cybercriminals seem to know an awful lot about you from what you say on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all the other many social networks out there.
0: Yeah, it's actually more difficult for law enforcement to gather the information that is easy for someone else to steal, uh, arguably. I mean, if they're following the law um, and they want it to be reliable evidence in a a proper court, then there's a lot of extra restrictions. In fact, I, I did some digital forensics work about six, seven years ago, and as a private individual... I could do certain investigations and look at certain types of data, uh, and that evidence would be admissible in court. And yet, if a member of the government or law enforcement were to do the same activity, they had to follow entirely different procedures that were 10 times more cumbersome to ensure that the the data trail that they gathered was gathered legally and specifically and, and could be used as evidence. So. There's a, certainly, there's an extra uh, burden on them, and it does make it easier for any random person actually to get that much data and more often.
1: And the other thing, Chester, of course, is that the cops have to get it right. And not only do they have to get it right, if they want to get a conviction, at least in countries like Australia, the UK, Canada, the US, with adversarial legal systems and a jury, they also have to be able to convince the jury that every bit of evidence they've got builds their case beyond reasonable doubt. The cyber crooks only have to be approximately right. They don't care if they get it wrong, as long as they get it right often enough to be able to raid sufficiently many people's bank accounts to make the sorts of money they want. So they can pretty much dial a yield, whereas the cops can't. So it is much easier for cyber crooks than it is for the cops, And people really need to remember that.
0: Yeah, that was one of the points of research in the uh, thermal imaging ATM story of, you know, gathering the keys that are hot on the keypad and being able to partially determine potentially your code to your ATM is that they only need to get it right a small percentage of the time. Like if you can tell that there's four digits pressed and you think these two were first and these two were third and fourth. You might make three or four guesses and move on. You only have to be able to get 20 victims out of the 3,000 that use the ATM for the day, and you're you're home free, and you've got piles of cash. So um, that kind of wraps up the news for this week. Thanks for joining me, Paul. It's a great pleasure, Chester. So this concludes Soft Security Chat Chat 71. As always, you can get all the latest news at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available at podcasts.softwist.com, on iTunes, via RSS, and on Stitcher. And until next time, stay secure.